Welcome everybody. Welcome to the Coralville Community Food Pantry. I'm a volunteer here, full disclosure, in non-COVID times when I don't have twin girls on the way. Uh, this is John Baller, the executive director here at the Coralville Community Food Pantry. What you are hearing is the beautiful, beautiful noise of freezers and coolers keeping delicious food the way it needs to be for people. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Good to see you, Devin. Glad it's to have you back in the building. It's been a while. It has been a while, so it's good to see you. It's yeah. good to be back. Yeah. Um, we're here to have conversation to help people understand what the food pantry is about, learn about food insecurity. Um, and I was hoping you could start with telling us a little bit about you and about the Coralville Community Food Pantry. Yeah, for sure. So thanks for this opportunity. This is wonderful. Um, it's been a while since I've talked to people other than my coworkers and volunteers in real life. So this is a wonderful treat. Uh, but yeah, so I'm John Bowler, as you said, and I, I grew up in uh, eastern Iowa in Cedar Rapids, and um, I somehow ended up in Iowa City. I studied at the university, studied social work, and my you know professional career kind of quickly led to being here at the Coralville Food Pantry. So after studying social work, I one of my first jobs in the field was as a, um, what was I? Oh yeah, <laughs> one of my first jobs in the field was as a case manager working for uh, a social service organization in Cedar Rapids that worked with homebound elderly individuals. And that was extremely hard work, extremely gut-wrenching work. And I, I quickly found out that it wasn't quite for me. And it, you know, it takes pretty, you know, large emotional toll out of you every single day. Um, and so in my search for different work, but still kind of staying in that social work, social services field, uh, this position opened up. And at the time, that was back in 2012, and it was a relatively brand new organization that was just volunteer-driven or volunteer-run. Um, the Coralville Food Pantry was started by a collection of faith organizations, actually, here in Coralville, um, back in 2009, and I was their first ever paid staff person. So um, I remember initially taking that that job, um, thinking I would just do it for a couple of years and skip town, head out west or something, but. Um, in my first year or two, just really kind of fell in love with the work and the people who I got to meet and um, doing uh, food justice work, which is something I've always been passionate about. So the United Way, the statistic that you know, well, even better than I do is like one in six people in Washington and Johnson counties will experience food insecurity at some point in a given year, right. which is crazy high. I right. still can't believe that like, one in six people that you walk by conceptually are dealing with this. Um, you see people all the time, you have these stories and not that we want you to give us names or anything, but can you tell us some stories about the people who come here and need help with food? Like how, how do they end up in those situations? What kind of help do they need? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's so important. I, I feel like I've heard that data so much that I don't really think about it critically anymore, but um, so it doesn't hit me quite as hard. But when you hear that for the first time, it is really striking and alarming to hear that, you know, such a high percentage of our neighbors don't always know where their next meal is going to come from. Um, and that's disgraceful. And I, I think we can hopefully all agree that that's just not something we want to see in our state, in our community, in our country. But that's the reality. Um, and, you know, I've been working really hard individually and also as an organization, partnering with others in this field to do everything we can to reduce that stigma that you know only certain types of people experience food insecurity only certain types of people you know lean on food pantries for support um, and the damaging um, thing that that does is that it keeps so many other people from accessing vital services that are available to them so um, 
you know, this pandemic, for example, I think I saw recent numbers where close to 60 million Americans are leaning on food pantries for help and many for the first time ever. Um, and we're seeing that here, we're seeing record numbers here as well. Uh, but we, we try to do everything we can to remind the community that um, people who face hunger, who face food insecurity are just like everyone else. Um, and it's not their fault, it's society's fault. And the more that I can say that, the better. This is not an individual problem. This is a problem with our systems that we've established in our country where way too many people are left behind, far too many are lacking just basic human needs. Right. Have you, to give us a window into like the kind of situations that people find themselves in, how they get to use, get to be a member of the food pantry yeah. and like, cause that's a tough thing for people to, to find that empathy and to understand like, we're all one step away from that, yeah. whether you think about that or not. And some people think there are lots of steps mm -hmm. away from that and thus they're maybe better or yeah. safer, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, but what does that look like on an individual level? Yeah, there's one story in particular that, that pops in my mind and there's a woman, she's in her upper 60s and she had been coming to the food pantry occasionally, maybe a few times a year. Um, she's living on her own and she actually volunteered with us a lot too. So um, this was her way of, you know, really kind of building her own community and getting to know people, building her social supports, and also taking a little bit of food home occasionally because, you know, she's a veteran that's, you know, retired, actually has a disability and can't work at all. So she's relying on social security and other, you know, federal benefits just to afford to live and pretty moderate, I mean, pretty uh, uh, humble income uh, for her. So um, her life though, took a huge change, a huge shift. Um, about a year and a half ago where she had a former partner um, pass away and left her two um, teenage children in this woman's um, care. So suddenly she, she made the decision, okay, I'm not gonna let these kids go to foster care to um, the system where they can just get lost and, and fall through the cracks. So she decided in her 60s to become a parent again. And again, this is a woman who served our country as a veteran, barely getting by, um, choosing to be so selfless and take care of two kids who weren't her own, but accepted them as her own. Um, nothing changed with her income. She was still very poor, maybe getting a few extra benefits. Um, but she, you know, at that time realized I need help and I need to turn to places like the food pantry for as much support as possible. So she would come more often to get her food. She's still coming today. Um, we'd connect her with other resources in the community too, which is an important part of what we do is we'll you know, make referrals to other programs and, and vital assistance that you know, can help people beyond, beyond food. So um, that woman in particular, you know, we again, still see her um, every week. And you know, once we're through this pandemic, she'll be back in here volunteering. Um, but again, the, those are the stories we're hearing you know, all the time. And it is a great reminder that um, food insecurity and hunger can happen to anyone and it's not their fault. <laughs> so you've talked about volunteers um, also being here to and, and taking advantage of being members, like they're volunteers and they're members and mm -hmm. that fluid line between taking advantage of what is here and also helping other people. How many of the members or the volunteers are also members? Yeah, that's a great question. That was one of the first things that did shock me when I when I first started working here. 
um, the volunteer base. Certainly you, you see folks who you would expect to be volunteering retirees um, who are just really altruistic and want to help out at their local food pantry or, or people who are involved in a church community and they you know, want to want to give back in that way. Uh, but the majority of the volunteers that we see at the food pantry to this day are folks who are also members with us or were members at one time and maybe they were able to, you know, have a, a string of luck where they were able to get back on their feet a bit. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a great way to kind of reemphasize that uh, people in our community who are poor, who are low income, they are incredibly generous. They care about this community. They're a part of this community and they're giving back in ways that many on the top are not. And um, it just, just, it gives you hope to see that um, it's humbling and it's also infuriating at the same time because you see a group of people who are so often demonized and ridiculed for decisions they make about whether you know they should spend uh, their small snap uh, food allotments on different items and um, to, to just understand that these are folks who are struggling immensely they are incredibly stressed out but they're still taking the time to volunteer in their community and support their neighbors and look out for one another. Um, it's a really amazing thing to say. Well, to dive into that, one of the questions that we had talked about a little bit earlier, what are those systemic changes? Um, we'll get down to the personal level and the individual level, but what are some of those systemic changes that we as Americans, as voters, as people can help push for? Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, we think of hunger and we think we can just solve the hunger problem by just doing more food drives and having more food pantries and getting more food out to people, but that's just a kind of loopless cycle or a cycle that just kind of keeps going in one, one loop. And um, the only way we can, you know, effectively reduce hunger is to address those system, systemic root problems. And that all kind of points back to poverty and social inequality. So you look at, you know, people just aren't making enough money to be able to afford to pay their rents, to pay the utilities, to, you know, buy gas to fill up their cars to afford healthcare, um, and then of course to pay for groceries. And in Johnson County, for example, where this is one of the most expensive places in Iowa to live, it's really hard to find a place to, to sleep at night and, and not have you know much left over to, to spend on other you know critical bills that you have to pay. So um, as an organization and also as a professional, I have joined the Iowa Hunger Coalition which is a relatively new group of uh, food pantry leaders, faith leaders, uh, people who have been doing food justice work in the state for a while. And our new aim is to try to work collectively with other organizations and advocacy groups to fight for things like increasing the wage, um, improving access to childcare, um, fighting for you know, healthcare for, for everyone. Uh, those, are, those are three areas that are really, really important that could drastically reduce the amount of uh, food insecurity that we're seeing in Iowa. So to that point, this is just one piece of an over of a bigger puzzle to help people. So why is this piece in particular so important? And this piece meaning what we do here? Yeah, what, food, what yeah. you're doing here. Absolutely. Um, food, again, like everything we do here with food, it all kind of circles back to dignity, I think. Um, you know, when, when people come here, it's because they can hardly afford to live. And one of the most basic rudiments of life is having food to eat. And so 
by offering that to people and doing it with dignity and respect, um, that's just such an important um, piece of building a strong community and supporting and loving and caring for our neighbors. Um, food is one of the first ways that we can build community and get to know one another. So, you know, inherently what we're doing is, is building community, but we're also, you know, meeting someone's, you know, nutritional needs as well, which is really important. Yeah. Are there things that you have learned and changed over the eight years now that you've been here in like what have been some of the key takeaways in the way that you've done this work to make it better for people to give them more dignity? What does what has changed? I hope I've learned something, and I and I think I have. And even some of <laughs> yeah. the things that I've just mentioned are things I've only learned in the past few years after listening and talking with people um, who are facing these challenges every single day. Um, but I, you know, there's things that we've changed because of you know moments where I've listened better and. Um, you know, thought about ways to offer our services that, you know, are more respectful and more dignified. So, um, you know, ever since the pantry started, we've always been a client choice food pantry, meaning that when someone visits us, we allow them to actually select the food items that they want to take home, as opposed to prepackaging something where we make assumptions about people um, and sometimes even judgments as well, whether we know it or not. We're saying, you need to eat this and um, or you should eat this, and we find out that that person either doesn't eat that food for cultural reasons, for religious reasons, for dietary reasons. Um, it's just not a smart way of, of doing food assistance. So we found the most dignified and actually less wasteful way of providing food assistance is to let people come into your building and take home the foods that they need. Um, so we were doing that the first several years of my role being director of this organization. and. We decided to take steps a little bit further and, you know, at the time, actually for the first few years, there were still limits on what people could take home based on household size. So you would limit it to this amount of, you know, canned fruits and vegetables, this amount of protein items, one milk. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. And that's still kind of that paternalistic way of m managing what people are taking home and not really giving people the freedom to choose. And um, so we decided to just get rid of all that and we want to make it is easy as possible for people to get the food that they need when they come here. We want the food that they take home to be the food that they need, uh, that their family needs. And um, so that's, that's one of those things we changed. And even in this pandemic, we're learning a lot more how to, how to do that um, in an even more dignified way. And it's the challenge, of course, I don't know if you want to dive into our adaptations and yeah. pandemic. Please, yeah, I think I'm I'm curious, and I'm sure other people are curious Perfect. as to how you're dealing with that. Yeah, yeah. So one of the biggest challenges of you know operating a food pantry in a pandemic, we're not able to let people in our building. Um, we've limited the number of volunteers who are in here, but so that client choice model that I mentioned being such a critical part of what we believe and the way we have operated for such a long time, not having people in the building to make those choices themselves has been really hard. Not just for us but for them obviously too um so we've tried we're trying to do everything we can to replicate that choice model as much as possible but the way we're doing it is anytime people need to access food in our community they can drive up to our facility they can walk up and then we're also providing home deliveries as well which i'll talk about in a little bit but for at least the the drive up and the walk up folks um, we have a volunteer meet them outside with an ipad and it has this large menu of different items that are available that day. And so again, this is that choice that we're wanting to give people a chance to to, to make uh, food decisions for themselves. And so we'll ask them, you know, do you want a tote bag that has 
a lot of non-perishable canned goods and rice and beans, that kind of stuff? Do you want um, a cold bag that has some, you know, mystery items that we get from the grocery store? Um, do you want cereal? Do you want bread and pastries? Do you want fresh fruits and vegetables? Um, do you need diapers? Do you need feminine hygiene products? Um, we have a lot of squash right now. Would you like to take home acorn squash or butternut squash? And even uh, we're offering pet food as well. We know a lot of people have companion animals at home that are even more important in providing, you know, just social and emotional care for people who are struggling right now and who are isolated. Um, so making sure that, you know, their four-legged friends have food to eat is really important. So that's one way we've adapted to just, again, retain that choice and try to make people feel like they have, you know, the ability to, to ask for what they need. That's cool, that's cool. Yeah. How, how does that look when you're delivering food to people? Yeah, so the delivery program, it's really exciting. This was something we had wanted to do for a while, but the pandemic just kind of pushed us into it. We knew we had to adapt because there's a lot of people who, you know, needed to stay home. They, uh, you know, were highly at risk and didn't want to go out into public and, and risk their health to um, get the food that they need to survive. So we were happy to adapt really quickly. Uh, we borrowed a van from one of our partners, Table to Table. They're an amazing food rescue organization. And so we immediately just said, hey, if you want to set up a home delivery, give us a call. We'll try to give you the exact same choices you would have if you came here to drive up. And that's essentially what we've done. So um, the way it's worked is people will call in and we'll talk to them on the phone, which again, another aside here is for a lot of people who we're talking to on the phone, we might often be the only person they talk to all week. So these are folks who are really socially isolated and reminds me and reminds our staff that what we're doing here at the food pantry is more than just food, it's community, right. um, it's relationships. And those, those people look forward to talking to us. We look forward to talking to them and hearing about how they're doing, making sure they're safe right. um, and making sure they have everything they need. So we'll get a call from them. We'll you know, ask them all the questions. We do a quick inventory update just so that we know what we can offer them, whether it's proteins or specific fresh produce items we have orange juice or different types of milk, that sort of thing. Um, so we get that inputted into our system. We tell them, okay, it looks like we have, we can get you a schedule for delivery today or tomorrow, whenever at a certain time frame, and uh, just be looking for it. And that's, that's how it works. So we've been making on average, uh, I think between 50 and 60 deliveries every week. And wow. it ranges from going to senior living centers, to apartments, to houses, to the mobile home community, which is really close to Tiffin and, and your church community. Right. Um, and it's just so helpful. There's, there's people who, you know, of course we started that program to respond to folks who wanted to, you know, quarantine and not leave their homes for the purpose of, you know, risking, you know, getting, um, COVID, uh, but we're going to continue it forever because it's a really important service because people who have mobility issues can't access our services. Um, so we're really excited to continue that program and grow it. Uh, we just uh, had uh, an AmeriCorps member start with us and, and her whole purpose is to manage that program and develop it so that we can grow a bit further and uh, we're going to keep that going. Nice. So success looks like it's different for each individual that you help, right? Um, but going back to those individual stories, what has success looked like over the last couple of months? What, how do you know that things are working? How do you know when things are going right? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And sometimes we get the privilege of hearing those stories and sometimes we don't. We just have to guess and hope that what we've done 
has right. actually helped someone. Um, but we do get a lot more feedback nowadays because we are talking to people every day on the phone where in the past we maybe didn't do that. And, um, you know, I'm thinking of a few stories off the top of my head. There's a, a woman who does live in a, in a senior living facility who has kind of more uh, specific dietary requests that she has. And um, our phone calls with her take a little bit longer because we have to kind of list off every single item that we have in the pantry and make sure we find something that fits for her. Um, but she's expressed numerous times how grateful she is that we will take the time to do that. Um, she feels safe, she feels respected, and of course she ends up getting the food that she needs to, to live and be healthy. Um, that's one great story. Another one that, that comes to mind too is also related to our delivery program. We partnered with a group called uh, the League of United Latin American Citizens, LULAC. They have several different chapters throughout the country, but. Uh, there's a local chapter here in Johnson County, and we have some volunteers who are part of that uh, that group, and we got connected with them um, to address uh, working with families who might have more sensitive um, documentation status, you know, concerns about um, going to a physical location and giving any information because that's something that makes a person who's undocumented feel really unsafe. Um, and so even though we try to do everything we can to reassure folks that the information we have here stays with us. We're a private nonprofit. The government doesn't know anything about you after you access our services. But we, we realized that a, a better way to provide services to those members in that community uh, was to work with an organization that they trusted. So LULAC had these wonderful connections um, in different mobile home communities, also even all the way out in West Liberty. And of course, they're not in our service area, but we find it really important because no one else is meeting that need. And we took that opportunity to um, you know, make home deliveries more discreetly with people who they trusted. Uh, but a lot of the feedback we heard from, from those families was just, they were blown away with the quality of the food that they received. They loved being able to talk with someone who spoke their language um, and just have the ability to provide food for their families. There's several families in particular who, they were doing fine until COVID, but they lost their job. And this is the first time they'd ever had to turn somewhere else for support. And so for us to be able to answer that call was really critical. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really, yeah. really cool. So last question, what can people do to help? What are the best things they can do to help if they, if they care about food justice? Yeah, thank you for asking, I appreciate it. Um, at least here, I'll start here. Um, in, in Coralville or Tiffin area, there's certainly ways to support the work we're doing. Um, financially is a wonderful way to do it. Right now we're not accepting food donations just because our facility is so small and we're so short staffed. It's, it's hard for us to go through, sift through food donations. So the best way to support us is financially and we can take every dollar that's given to us and you know make that into at least 10 or 15 pounds of really amazing food through our different uh, wholesale food sources. So. That's an easy way to support us. You can go to our website. You can send us a check in the mail, whatever that might uh, easiest be for you. Um, and then there are certainly ways to get involved with your hands and your feet by helping us out as a volunteer. Um, when COVID hit, we lost about 90% of our volunteer base. They decided to stay home, um, which is which is good. I, I want people to feel like they're safe and, and, and healthy and not having to risk you know being in, in public. So, But we did lose a good portion of our volunteers. So it's been hard to... Uh, come back from that and so we're always looking for new volunteers people who are really committed to you know cdc guidelines and who really respect the science and wear a mask and are not doing anything too dubious 
in their you know social lives because um, we want to make sure that this is a safe space for our staff and our volunteers but also the people who are serving in the community can't afford to get sick um, they are our most vulnerable neighbors and uh, we need to do everything we can to protect them so as a volunteer though you can you can help out during our open hours when we're you know offering food to the public and that's feedback we've heard is that it's actually a lot of fun so it's kind of that what's that show where they're shopping and it's like an, uh, it's like a personal shot yeah i, yeah, I know what you're talking it's about it's great so it's it's kind of supermarket sweep okay so volunteering here, we've heard it's, it's a lot like supermarket sweep. It's a lot of fun. You get this list of groceries and then you have to boom, 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 pack it all up, uh, put it in a grocery cart and take it outside to deliver to uh, the person who's shopping. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a great way to meet other people, of course, too. Uh, but another way you can get involved if you're not comfortable being in a building with other people yet, uh, we have ways to get involved as a delivery driver. So our home delivery program, which I mentioned, we're making 50 to 60 deliveries a week. Some of our staff makes those deliveries, but we do lean on community members to make those deliveries as well. So you can use your personal vehicle, show up, grab a couple deliveries, make those in you know, 25, 30 minutes and head on with your day. So you said members a couple of times and you've talked about dignity. How are those things related and why is that so important? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, we did make an intentional shift to, to move from the term client to member and that was all in that you know realm of, of dignity how do we create an environment where everyone feels like they are equal where no one feels like they are better than anyone else um, it's also a part of reducing that stigma of uh, coming to a food pantry we using the word client just makes it sound a little more formal and and shameful too uh, so using the word member that sounded more fun it sounded like you're part of a community you're a member at costco you're a member of a csa share you're a member at the core of a food pantry uh just a lot of more positive um affiliation there so but you know just on that topic we again really truly want to convey that everyone who steps in this building is equal we're all important um we all have the same needs and desires and everyone should be treated uh this exact same way um, there's this relational hierarchy that exists and it's, it happens here in the food pantry too. And we want to chip away at that. Um, cause there's a tendency, you know, a volunteer might come in, um, relatively privileged person and they're here to serve. And even just that term serve makes it sound like I have something that you don't have and therefore I'm better than you. And we want to make it very clear that we are all in this together and everybody has equal value. Could you maybe share a couple of examples where that has become real for people or, or a time that that became real for you? Yeah, I think, yeah. One of, again, another intentional decision we made was to um, start offering free community meals. And we would do this several times a year. Um, and we invite the entire community to come out to enjoy a free meal that our volunteers prepared, people from all walks of life prepared. Um, and in that process, you know, we'll, we'll set up at the library or at the rec center, wherever it might be, and have this delicious spread of food. And you see standing in line people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different colors, uh, people who are native Iowans, people who are recent immigrants, all together in the same line. And at every single meal that I can remember, there's at least one person who was from the more affluent side of our community who would come up to me and try to give me a donation because it was their way, it was well-intentioned, but it was their way of saying like, I'm too good to be standing in line and I wanna give you a donation so that I can 
not feel like I was leaning on a food pantry or needing someone else to have my needs met. And so every time I would have to say thank you, but right now I want you to just go back in line and stand there with your neighbors and just feel what it's like for a second to, to have to lean on your neighbor for support. And, and I think that's an uncomfortable exercise for a lot of people to be in, but it's really important for us to sort of facilitate environments like that where we're reiterating that notion that all of us in Coralville, all of us in Johnson County, we are of equal value and none of us are better than the other. Nice. Well, John, thanks so much for having us out here and for having this conversation and for all the work that you're doing. Thanks so much, Devin. Great to catch up and hopefully we'll see you around here again soon. Well, thank you uh, to John and Devin uh, for the time to help us to better see into other parts of our community, um, likely some parts of our community that most of us have never seen and, and may never see into. And as an extension, I hope, kind of as John said right there at the end, that we would see all people as valuable, as equal, and in so doing, hopefully love people better. Ultimately, as Jesus followers, for those of you who consider yourselves a Jesus follower, to see a different perspective and love better in the midst of that. I can say personally, some of the first few times I served in a food bank changed so many, so many of the assumptions I had about those who needed food assistance, who experienced food scarcity. And it left me, uh, to be honest, it left me humbled and convicted that I needed to adjust my thinking. And it can for you too. And maybe during the pandemic is not the time for you to serve, but please don't use that as an excuse not to. But I really would encourage you to spend some time to consider uh, being both generous financially, but also in your time and helping great organizations like this make a difference. If you want to learn more about the food pantry, I think our awesome chat hosts have put that in the comment section. But you can also go to uh, coralvillefoodpantry.org and learn more about serving and giving in that way. Now to wrap up um, my portion of today's service, I wanted to uh, hit you up with two discussion questions like we do every single week with the intent, the hope of you taking a moment to at the very least personally thinking about these questions, uh, but ideally talking about it with those in your home or calling somebody up and having this conversation, maybe somebody who's watched with you. Um, here are the two questions I have for you today. Pretty generic, but I think they can get you to some really powerful places. One, what was something new you learned from this conversation? It doesn't just have to be a fact, too. It can just be an emotion, maybe, that you felt. And, and you could talk about that. You know, I learned this about myself, or I have an issue with, and, and share that and talk about that with, think about it, maybe even pray about it. Number two, how can you be generous this month, maybe this week. And, and I realize we're in the middle of Be Rich. I realize we're raising a bunch of money and we're giving it away. But my hope is that you will, every week this month, in the week of the month of Thanksgiving, that you would think about a way that you can be generous towards other people with your finances, with your time, with your emotion, with your prayer, just all the resources at your disposal to serve our community, love our community better. 
So if you would, right now, um, as long as it's safe to do so, close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray for a brief moment. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the hard work uh, of those people, um, like at the Coralville Food Pantry, the many food pantries around the Iowa City area, and then the cities and towns uh, of those who are joining us this morning um, for loving their community, for serving their community, for helping their community meet the very basic needs of having food to get through the week, Lord. And, and Lord, I just pray that especially as we enter into these winter months where it's difficult to choose what bills to pay for some people, as we enter the winter months in the midst of this pandemic and, and people may lose their jobs or not be able to find them, um, that there would be generous people, maybe the generous people watching online that would step up and help and love because they are willing to see a perspective that they're not used to, a perspective that's different than their own, and they're not going to shy away, as we're going to talk about it in this new series here in a few weeks, that they would in, instead follow Jesus into the uncomfortable situations, into the situations that challenge us, that challenge our norms and expectations, because that's where we have an opportunity to see other perspectives and hopefully in the midst of that love better. Lord, we thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you haven't had a second to fill out that connection,